Yo, what's up, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning into the gathering today. Remember, we have our brand new app out on the App Store and Google Play. Go review it, go download it. It makes the world of a difference. But now, without further ado, turn up your earphones, crank up those speakers, grab your Bible, and get ready for a word from Grant Reynolds. So this month, uh, we've been in the series called Letters from the Battleground. Letters from the Battleground. What that is, it's, it's about the book of Philippians. And we're going through the book of Philippians and we're looking at it because Paul is writing to the church of Philippi saying, hey, I understand you're in the middle of persecution. I understand the world hates you. I understand everything you're facing. Heck, I'm in prison, but God is still good. And this is what the church is supposed to do. And in the middle of the darkness, the church shines the brightest. In the middle of the darkness, in the middle of despair, the church is the hope of the world. Not because of a building, not because of music, not because of emotions, but because the God of the universe, Jesus Christ, came from heaven to earth to say, I love you, and wants to use the church as the conduit of grace to his people. And so that is what the letters from the battleground is about. Paul is writing to you, saying, I understand life is a battleground. I get it. Listen, if you've been hurt this week by somebody, something, or some situation, put your hand up. Hello. If you didn't put your hand up, you're lying. Because life is hard. We've all been through hard stuff. Why? Because there's a bunch of hurting people in the world. Hurting people hurt people. And guess what? We're all hurting people. You know what that means? We all hurt people. Today, I hurt somebody. <laughs> Earlier today, Shabbat. Do not say amen to that. No, listen, but we've all been there. Why? Because we're all human and Jesus knows that. Newsflash. Jesus is not surprised by your humanity. Jesus isn't surprised by your sin. Jesus isn't surprised by your failure. He's not caught off guard. Remember, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We see that plastered everywhere. But it's true. God, the God of the universe, is not surprised by your sin. What does it say in Psalms? It says, we were all born wicked. The gospel is this. We are more wicked than we dare admit, but more loved than we could hope or imagine at the same time. And if we're going to walk through life and be the church that we're supposed to be, if we're going to walk through life and not just be a church full of hypocrites, if we're going to walk through life and not just be a church full of people that look down on others and people don't want to be a part of, listen, when I look outside and I see this church, I see a church full of people that love people. When I look at your faces, I see people who are loved desperately by God, which means I I'm supposed to love you desperately. And so Paul is writing 
in Philippians chapter 3 about this. He's writing about how do we be the church that we're supposed to be. Now, I got two dogs. Thaddeus and Oslo. Thaddeus is a Labrador retriever mix. Uh, You'll never guess what he's mixed with. But he's mixed, and he's the handsomest pup you'll ever meet. He is the sweetest, kindest dog. He's black with a little bit of white right on his chest. Most timid, introverted dog you have ever met in your life. His favorite thing to do. I wanted to bring him as a sermon illustration, but my man would have been shaking the entire time because that's just what Thaddeus is like. He's just scared of the world, partially because he was abandoned and abused and found at three months old in the woods. So there's that. But his brother, so Thaddeus turns one in a couple days. His brother, Oslo, however, is a Catahoulin leopard dog. And I am not convinced that he's a domesticated animal. Oslo is literally, I call him Oslo the lion. He is my Viking warrior. I mean, he is five months old and a chunk. This dude, I bought, okay, so we got Thaddeus to be be an emotional support animal and then got Oslo to be an emotional support animal for Thaddeus. So as you can see, Oslo, we were like, let's get the most extroverted, excited dog ever. Woo! And so we got Oslo and now Oslo's running around the house and he's a submissive peer. I don't know what that means, but I found out he pees because he thinks he's making you happy. It's the weirdest thing. He thinks that he's making me happy when I'm angry by peeing on my white rug. I don't understand where this is, but it's a real thing. The vet told me about it. I just thought he was crazy. Okay. Five month old Oslo. He's going to be a big boy. He's going to be a big boy. So we got to work this sucker out. But I would the other day. He was laying in our bedroom on the bed with my wife. I got done doing some work and I knew, I knew that if I woke him up and brought him along, that he would pee all over the floor because he'd be like, oh, look, Papa. And then it would just be a bad deal. And so I thought, I'm going to pick Oslo up and I'm going to hold Oslo like a little baby and I'm going to carry him to the door like a good Papa. And I felt this warm feeling all over my chest as he peed all over me. But you're not surprised, right? Because it's a dog. I mean, to a certain level, you're a little surprised because dogs don't normally do that. Oslo's just special. I have two of the most special dogs in the world. But we're not really necessarily surprised by dogs because dogs act like dogs, right? Right? Okay. Dogs act like dogs. And so we're not surprised when a dog acts like a dog. More often than not, we're surprised when a dog acts like a human. Like Thaddeus will go to the door and paw at the door and sit down and be like, be like, oh, he's got to go to the bathroom. Oslo, however, will just run around the house and pee everywhere. But we're not surprised because a dog acts like a dog. We would be surprised, however, if a human acted like a dog. If I picked my brother Corbin up and he peed all over my chest, this would not be a good night. Because we do not expect a half-fully-grown, somewhat-developed man-child to pee all over another somewhat-developed man. Prefrontal lobe still going. We wouldn't necessarily expect 
that. Why? Because we have this idea and an expectation of what a dog operates like and what a human operates like. I'm going to put a pin in that. Philippians 3. Verse 1. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is not trouble. Some to me and for you, it is a safeguard. Remember where he's at? He's in prison right now. And he's saying, rejoice in the Lord. Hey, I'm in prison, but hey, rejoice. I was in the car and I made Nick listen to this old Israel Houghton song. Rejoice in the Lord always and again. I see. Yeah, that one is so good. She's like, what is this? Uh, go look it up. It's again, I say rejoice. Sidetrack. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of those who mutilate the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, who worship in the spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Even though I too have reason for confidence in the flesh. Hey, let's be real. I'm a good looking dude. I do great stuff. I might be in prison right now, but I know my worth. I've traveled around this world, setting up churches all around here. I've been beaten, thrown down, kicked down, pushed around. And guess what? I'm still leading this thing. So if anybody's got reason to talk, it's me. Context what Paul's saying here. He's not just saying, now, my brothers and sisters, do you know and understand that if any of us are good, I am good too. Like, he's not just like giving this platitude. He's saying, hey, I've done some real stuff and it doesn't matter. I've done some real stuff. I've had some real accomplishments. I built the church. But it doesn't matter. If anyone else has a reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ Jesus. Not righteousness that comes from my good works, not righteousness because of how I treated people, not righteousness because of everything I've done, but righteousness completely and totally founded in the value of Jesus because compared to him. What is my value? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This chapter, this section, this Philippians 3, 1 through 11, Paul is writing and he's saying, beware of the dogs. Beware of those that act like. Beware of those that sound like. Beware of those that look like Christians. Beware of those that look good. Because if anybody's done anything good, it's me. But guess what? It's worthless. So if somebody comes around here saying, look at everything I've done, don't get sidetracked with stars in your eyes about celebrity 
and fame. Don't get sidetracked with, star, sidetracked with stars in your eyes because somebody provides an opportunity. Don't, don't get sidetracked in stars in your eyes because somebody's flashier, bigger, bigger than you. Promising things. Because at the end of the day, everything that they've done is worth nothing compared to my Jesus. Beware of the dogs. Beware of those that could take what we've built. Beware of those that come in sheep's clothing, wolves and sheep's. That come in and sneak in and, and act like they are righteous. How do we beat hypocrisy in the church? How do we love people like Jesus loves them? We look at our own sin and accept it. We look at ourselves and say, guess what? I understand that I'm sinful. I understand that I've messed up and on my own and everything good I've ever done is worth nothing compared to what Jesus has done for me. But if I can just have one moment to share with you the gospel of Jesus and how much he loves you, I think it can change your life forever. That is what they're talking about. Beware of everything else that doesn't carry that message. Beware of every other church that doesn't carry that message. Beware of any pastor, any person, any ministry leader that says, put yourself out there first and then see what Jesus does instead of let me just follow Jesus and see what he does. How do you have a healthy church in the 21st century? I hear it all the time. We just want a church like they had an ax. No, you don't. These people were getting killed. These people were being martyred. Burnt up, lit on fire. Jesse said it beautifully the other day. He said the early Christians were not on fire for Jesus. They were literally on fire. They weren't running to take the church everywhere because they were just so excited about what God was doing. No, they would, Nero was lighting them on fire. And they were running and one of the greatest movements has ever happened. Why? Because people are willing to put everything that they have on the back burner for everything that Jesus has. In order to take what God has for you, you have to release what you've gained for yourself. And that's not easy. Because our world has taught us this materialistic idea that we need to take, 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 take and hold on to. Have you seen the show Hoarders? Mm. Sometimes I feel like a hoarder. I have things because I think, you know, what, in five years, maybe it'll be cool again. Or maybe I might need this. And so I have like this little hoarding. <laughs> We're right there. Like I have this little hoarding obsession. Like I have this sweater that is not cool at all, but I'm convinced that it's going to be cool in five years. So I'm just going to hold on to it so I can save money and not buy it later. But we have to watch for the dogs because let me tell you something. It's not nearly as easy as looking for a dog to act like a dog. It's looking for a human to act like a dog. Looking for those that are going to break apart the church. Looking for those that really aren't nearly as righteous as they say they are. And are really just running around judging people. 
while they're doing their own little secret sin in the closet, they're not going to walk around acting like that. They're going to walk around acting like what they think you think that they are supposed to look like. Otherwise, Paul would not have to be telling them, hey, watch out for the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. If I got to warn you about something, then it means that there's some reason to be warned. I think it's hilarious. I go into an elevator and there's a sign that says no smoking. They put a sign in there because some dumb person decided to smoke in an elevator. That sounds like the worst thing possible. But Paul is writing this in the same way. We have so many different random laws and things because people just decide to do something. And so then we got to come up with a law to fix it. And in the same way, Paul is writing to the church and he's saying, beware of the dogs. Beware of those that are going to pervert scripture. Beware of the false teachers. Beware of those that put themselves before Jesus. Beware of those with a second agenda. Beware of those that aren't loving people like Jesus loved them. Beware of those that are trying to use the church as a corporate ladder to get fame and success on their own. Beware of the dogs. Because this is so much. There's so much at stake. This is so much at stake that we cannot allow these things to pull the church down. We have to continue to strive forward in righteousness to be like Jesus. It's easy for me to look at Thaddeus and Oslo and expect to have to train them. It's a lot harder to look at my brother and think that I might have. It's the last thing I'm thinking of. So sometimes there's people that are running around in our world that look like they're supposed to look, talk like they're supposed to talk. But on the inside, they're falling apart. And I think it can go one of two ways. One, there can be somebody who on the inside, they're really out here for selfish gain of their own to take and pervert the church and use Christianity for their own for their own ideas and agenda. And then I think there's other people that look pretty on the outside, but on the inside, they're falling apart. They're broken and hurting. And you never know why, because they act like they're perfect. And so not only do we have to look out and beware of the people that want to pervert and, and take the church and turn it into something that it never should be, but we also have to look for the people that are broken and hurting that you normally wouldn't see. I want to give you three things really quick. How to take this principle of becoming the church that Jesus instructed, becoming the church that Paul is writing because he's saying, hey, beware of these things. Beware of the dogs. Beware of those that pervert scripture. Beware of the evildoers. And then do these things. That's what verse 3 through 11 is, is saying, do these things. Do this. Number one, worship in spirit in the presence of opposition. Worship in spirit in the presence of opposition. 
It says this right here, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, for it is we who are the circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus. For we in the middle of our opposition, for we in the middle of being shut down and pushed down, we in the middle of being martyred, in the middle of the ultimate opposition and persecution, worship in spirit. Worship in truth. I think there's something to be said for a church that chooses to worship in the midst of opposition and hold to the truth of the gospel. I think that there's something for a church that chooses to worship regardless of what's going on outside. Both corporately and individually. Why? Because of the church is not is the body is is this but it's not a building it is the collective body of Christ. And so that means you individually and us corporately coming together and saying we will worship in spirit in the face of opposition no matter how hard it is whether that opposition is individually because you lost a job something set back you're sick there's some illness that you have but I'm choosing to worship in the truth that God loves me and sees me or if it's corporately taking a stand against racism taking a stand against abortion taking a stand against the injustices of our world and saying we will worship in spirit and in truth regardless of anything that may come back at us that's how we become the church that Jesus sees number two rejoice in Christ in the midst of suffering three verse one finally my brothers and sisters rejoice in the Lord do you understand how how bizarre that is Paul is sitting in a jail cell saying, now my brothers and sisters, rejoice in Christ. Rejoice. Not just, hey, woo. But rejoicing means that everything in you chooses to activate joy. Rejoicing is, is the verb is taking joy and turning it into an action for your life. If you're going to rejoice in the midst of suffering, then you have to be willing to say, I'll grab on to joy and hold on to that sucker with everything I've got, and I'm going to go through everything that I go through knowing that at the end of the day, Jesus sees me, and he loves me, and he's with me no matter what a doctor says, no matter what my job says, no matter what person in my family hasn't come to Jesus. I'm going to hold on to joy. And I'm going to activate it into my life. I'm going to activate joy in the midst of my personal suffering. And collectively as a church, we will activate joy in the midst of the suffering of our world. When you see somebody who loses a child, are you activating joy in their life? That doesn't necessarily mean come on and say, hey, how you doing today? No, don't do that. That's stupid. But sitting and weeping with somebody, understanding and listening to somebody in the midst of their suffering, saying, listen, I don't, I don't know why this is happening, but I know that Jesus loves you and he sees you and I'll sit here with you for as long as I have to and I'll hold your hand in the midst of suffering. That's activating joy. Why? Because it's fighting despair. 
Joy fights despair. And so when we activate joy in rejoicing in the midst of suffering, we're fighting despair. Three, trust in the Lord as our foundation in the face of opposition. In the face of fear. Trust in the Lord as our foundation in the face of fear. We have to worship in spirit, worshiping in the truth that God is with us, that he sees us, that he's Emmanuel. We're going into the Christmas season, Emmanuel, God with us. Worshiping in the spirit and truth of knowing and understanding that he is with us no matter what opposition we face. Rejoicing and activating joy in the midst of despair and suffering. But what is that worth if we do not trust in the face of fear? The church that Paul is writing to is facing An end that they didn't know. I mean, we have the luxury of having the entire book. Like, I can read it from cover to cover and know what's going to happen. I understand what happens to Paul. I understand what happens to Jesus. I know what they're writing about in James. I understand what is laid out in Revelation. But guess what? In your life, You don't know what tomorrow brings. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't have the book of your life necessarily. That you can just look and see on page 34 what happens. And so there's there's a certain level of fear. There's a certain level of anxiety that we face. And these people that Paul was writing to, they knew that. They understood that. They faced that. Paul faced that. He doesn't know if he's going to be killed or if he's going to even be alive. He doesn't know if this letter is going to go to this church and he's never going to see them again. Yet he writes to them and he says, trust in the Lord. I don't know what's on page 34 of your life. But I do know who's writing page 34. I don't know necessarily what's going on or what you're going to face tomorrow. But guess what? I know the conclusion of the story. I don't know what what fear you're going to face. I don't know what opposition or suffering you're going to go through. But you know what I do know? I know that Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you in the midst of it all. I know that no matter what battlegrounds you go through in your life, Jesus is going to walk with you. Why? Because he's never failed you before and he'll never fail you again. And if you think he has failed you, guess what? I want you to go back and look at it again and say, where were my expectations in my walk with Jesus? Because sometimes our expectations are a little off and maybe he was doing something different the whole time. I don't know. Much like this church that Paul is writing to, much like Paul, what the end of their story was going to be. I'm sure that Paul wrote to some people who were killed for their faith. Yet he is saying in the midst of the fear and the anxiety of it all, trust in the Lord. 
And so I tell you, if there's anything that I can tell you that you can walk out of here with tonight in the face of fear and uncertainty in your life, trust in the Lord. We have faced sickness. We have faced crazy financial problems. We've, we have faced layoffs. Just in this like year that we've been married. But in the face of fear, I can either crumble and run away or I can stand there and know that God is with me no matter what. Listen, I'm not just telling you from this empty place where I've never faced anything. I have faced fear. We have all faced fear. Paul, most of all, faced fear. But will you trust in the Lord in the face of of fear? Will you worship Christ in spirit in the middle of the opposition? Will you rejoice in the midst of suffering? If we do those things, if we worship, if we rejoice, and if we trust, I can assure you that the kingdom of God will come to this city to this nation and to this world. If you want to see God move in your life, then worship, rejoice, and trust. If you want to see something happen and God revolutionize something going on in your life, if you're facing something, a struggle, worship, rejoice, and trust. If you want to see the church take this world that we're in and bring the gospel of Jesus like never before, then you need to do your part in worship, rejoicing, and trusting. Would you stand with me? I'm going to tell you a secret. You don't have to know the end of the story. You don't got to know what, what the end of your story is. You're never going to know until you walk into that part of your life. So there's no use being scared of tomorrow. There's, it doesn't work. But what I can tell you is this. Jesus loves you. And he sees you. And he's with you. And if you ever for a moment forget, wonder or are scared, questioning whether or not he sees you, then quit trying to figure out what's on page 34 of your book and read this book. Because filled in this book are the promises of God. Filled in this book are the ways that God sees you. Filled in this book are the dreams and the aspirations that God has for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says Lord, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope. That's this week's word. We're so, so thankful that you decided you to, to join trust, the gathering to today. Rejoice, we are the gathering and we're so grateful right for you. Here. Remember, go download the app, Google Play, Apple Store, share it, review it. It makes a huge difference. God bless. And remember, let love echo. echo.